We're so glad you've joined us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can keep more of what you have. Our websites are clark.com and clarkdeals.com. And I want to talk about some difficult choices you face if you have lost your job. Because many Americans in the push and shove of the costs that you're incurring without income coming in, one of the things that gets shoved out is health coverage. If you worked at a place where you had health insurance available to you and with everything else you got to figure out, what do you do about health coverage for you and your family? Well, let's talk this through because if you have the resources, as long as you're working for even a larger than tiny employer, which is one that has a couple of dozen employees or more, you have what are known as COBRA rights. And COBRA rights allow you to stay on your now former company's insurance. If that company's still around, they just don't have you there anymore. You're able to maintain the coverage you had as it was, but you pay a fortune in premiums. Because normally when you have health insurance from your employer, the employer is paying a significant chunk of that money. I can tell you that with my company, I pay three quarters of the employee premiums for their health coverage. And it still seems expensive to the employee picking up a quarter of it. But when you go on COBRA, you pay the entire cost, the 100%, not whatever share you were prior paying, plus an administrative fee, typically 2%. So you pay 102% of the cost of having that coverage, which for many people is a burden that you can't possibly carry. So what are the alternatives? One of them is that if you have lost your income you may qualify for special subsidies on healthcare.gov. And even not during a normal enrollment period, you're allowed to enroll on what many times are referred to as the Obamacare exchanges, where you're able to buy a plan and because you don't have uh, normal income, you may be able to get coverage essentially for nearly free or pretty much so for that health care plan with a federal subsidy. So for many people, that will be a superior choice to doing COBRA if your income has, in fact, collapsed. So if you go to healthcare.gov, because you would qualify for what's known as special enrollment, you see what's available. You then be able to see if you qualify for the premium subsidies. And if you do, then that would be a much superior choice. So from layoff, you have two months to find as 60 days to make that application under this special enrollment period. 
And so you can do that. If that's not going to work for you, then you still have time to do the COBRA enrollment. If there's no way you're going to be able to afford the COBRA, then in many states, you may in fact qualify for state-provided health care under the Medicaid program, and that will depend because Medicaid has been expanded in most states, not in a small number of others, but there are alternatives, many of which would be vastly superior to you going without health coverage because going without health coverage means for many people that you don't seek care or treatment for a minor condition that left untended ends up being a very major thing that could be at great cost to your health, even your life. Now, I want you to post questions for me at clark.com ask. Producers Kim and Joel alternate asking your questions. And Kim, who do you have first? This is from Ricky in Washington. He says, my 13-year-old grandson wants to start investing. He has about $300. He wants to buy stocks on his own. I would prefer that he look into some sort of an investment program. How do I explain the difference to him and how would I best proceed? Wonderful question. So at 13, um, he can't have his own account. He can only have what's known as a custodial account that has an adult who is the custodian for the benefit of a minor child. It doesn't mean you can't give that child freedom to invest the $300 as he wishes. But at $300, there's not going to be the chance for uh, widespread experimentation. I'm not even going to call it what I usually call it, which is diversification, but it would be an opportunity for a child to take this money and basically it's learning money because if it was just straight investing for the purpose of making money, it would be standard protocol on my part that the money would go into an index fund where he would own little pieces of thousands of companies and that would be the long-term ticket. But if it's about learning the nuts and bolts of investing, then buying individual stocks would be the way to do it. And you would have to be involved in shepherding that. Opening an account of $300 is something you can do at either Charles Schwab or Fidelity Investments and with both a custodial account and with both have access to free online trading to buy and sell the stocks as he wishes. Joel? Clark Albert says, I am two to five years away from selling my home. When should I start working with a realtor? Uh, there's some work that needs to be done on the home, and I'd like some advice as to what I should do and to what I should be letting the new owners do. So agents will have some disagreement about which repairs and improvements you should do to your home. I will tell you based on my experience of having been a buyer and seller of more than two dozen properties over the years that my experience with human nature is that when that buyer's 
home inspector inspects the property and finds something that is a problem in their opinion, it's always cheaper for you to fix it than the discount they're going to ask on the purchase or concessions and dollars they're going to ask from you when that item is discovered. So I would say you have items that you do to a home to make it more appealing to purchase, which are the basic run-of-the-mill things like how does it look from the curb, does house need a paint job inside and out, are neutral colors involved, how's the landscaping appearance from the curb, and then if the gutters are hanging off the side, you definitely fix those. I mean, things that are obvious you take care of because a buyer wants to buy his or her dream, not the reality of pre-existing problems. Now, I never answered your original question, and that is, when is it that you seek out the expertise of a real estate agent? I would say once you come in a window less than 12 months from when you're planning to put the property on the market, today is too early with an intention to sell the time period down the road that you're talking about. Kim? Alan in Indiana wants to know what online savings account do you recommend? For a simple savings account, my advice is really whoever's paying the most money right now on those savings accounts. So I know that seems unusually generic and not helpful, but if you go to bankrate.com and you click on best savings rates, you're going to see what's going on around the country. There are a number of online banks that are really close together on their rates. Then there'll be a few trying to attract deposits that are paying generally about a quarter point higher. I would say a quarter point higher is enough that maybe you look at one that is separating itself from the crowd with a higher rate. When you go to bankrate.com and you look at these rates, you'll see right on the front screen, savings rates, click on it. At first, they'll show you who's paying them to be listed first. And those institutions usually are paying below what others are paying. Slide down a little more, and then you'll see the list of who's actually paying the most. Never put more than a quarter million in any one of these accounts and make sure that any institution you put your money in is either FDIC insured or NCUA insured. Joel? Clark Rudy says, I want to know if I should buy a new truck now or should I wait till later on in the year in order to get the best deal? You're going to find that the best deal with the overhang and inventory is yours through probably the end of June, early July. There are special situations in the marketplace, especially if you are interested in buying a used truck. You'll find that your greatest window of opportunity is likely to be during the month of June. I think there will be a similar calendar for new vehicles. There are special problems right now in the used vehicle market that creates opportunity for you as a buyer. I was looking at vehicles online that I'm very familiar with value of, and I'm noticing that used vehicles, most used vehicles that people purchase are somewhere between twelve and $18,000.
And I've noticed that right now the prices on those vehicles are generally around uh, $2,000 less than normal. And I don't know how long that price advantage remains in place. Kim? Clark, Erica in Oregon says the app Credit Karma says I have a credit score between 750 and 755, depending on who it's from. And it's been roughly the same for months now. But recently, when I applied for a small loan, the bank told me my credit score was 829. How is it possible there's such a big difference? Well, first of all, that's a great problem to have. Because the complaint I hear so often is, hey, that credit score I got from Credit Karma wasn't at all what the bank said. They said my score was blah, 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 lower. So having it higher is really good. Okay, so here's the scoop. The credit score you see from Credit Karma is an approximation of your credit score using their methodology. It is not based on the scoring model that most lenders use, which is a FICO score. The FICO score is the one, it's, it's not like the official score, but it's the one used for probably 95% of borrowing decisions. The credit bureaus have their own model called the Vantage score, that the credit bureaus are trying to take market share from the company called FICO. But so far, it's been slow going for them. And what you get with any scoring model is you get a general direction, almost like you think about horseshoes. You can win even though you don't hit the target exactly. That's what you're getting with a credit score approximation. In addition, the credit score they drew, um, if you look at a FICO score, that lender would see a different score if they pulled from a TransUnion report than from an Experian report than from an Equifax because the uh, FICO score is based on the information on that individual credit report that will vary one report to another. But again, I'm really glad for you that your issue is that the score was higher the official one was higher than you expected not the same or lower it's time for today's clark rave and you know it used to be at this time you'd hear the clark rageous moment which we'll eventually return to but in a time that a lot of the news is heavy we felt it was a really good idea to give you positive stories that touch your heart and maybe inspire you. So today's Clark Rave is about a group of high school students who decided that they were going to make a difference for residents in senior facilities. And what they've been doing is they have been gathering crossword puzzle books with huge type and also making treats to deliver to senior homes. So they assemble gift bags for the residents, and each bag is decorated bag of hope, according to an item I saw in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And they provide this word book or, uh, you know, workbook, crossword puzzle kind of book, that kind of thing, and deliver these things to the front of elder care facilities and drop them off. And I love these kind of 
things. And you think about if you've been hearing me with the Clark Rave day after day, probably half the time it's involved efforts of preteens and teens, which I think is important because they are not directly, overwhelmingly, not directly at risk from uh, the consequences of losing their lives from coronavirus, extremely rare, but they see the effect on others and they're stepping forward to help people in so many different ways. And I don't know if you're inspired by that, but I'll tell you, I sure am. Welcome to the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less, and don't let anyone ever rip you off. And colleges all over the country are pretty much done with their alternative education environment of um, online learning, more or less. And it has been kind of like an empty calorie meal for so many college students, particularly those who went to private colleges or attend private colleges with typically very small classroom sizes, not as much an impact on people who go to big state universities. I was talking with my wife about this, where she would be in lecture hall classes with over a thousand students when she was in college. And we were reflecting on how it's really not hugely different to take a class virtually, you know, where you're looking at the instructor or professor on your screen, because in many of the big lecture halls, the the professor or instructor would be so far away, they would look like a speck, and you'd look on a big screen to see them. So really not that terribly different at big state universities a lot of times the um the actual interaction for a student would be with a ta a teaching assistant rather than with the actual professor instructor so not a huge difference for many students in a public college kind of situation a state college situation going from direct classroom to virtual classroom private schools completely different and particularly the small liberal arts colleges my middle child my daughter has just finished her sophomore year at a private liberal arts college called occidental college which is near pasadena in los angeles and it's a very, very expensive tuition. But what she gets for that normally is she gets a classroom size that is typically maybe 10 to 15 students, sometimes even less than 10, rarely more than 20. And you, there's no way you can zone out in the class because the professor or instructor knows every student by name, knows their strengths and weaknesses. And last year I went to one of Steffi's classes with her. And first, I was not smart enough to understand what the class was about. And two, I was just so impressed how the professor knew which students would likely 
partway through would start staring out the window and would immediately call on one of those people with a question and knew how to work with each student to improve their engagement and understanding of the content. That's what you get in those ultra-small class sizes. So we've talked as a family because the online learning that our daughter had the last two months of the spring semester were not effective for her. She did not have the same experience. And my wife and I each sat watching her in classes with the virtual kind, and we both, having sat in real classes, saw that it was not anything like what we were paying those huge tuition bills for. You know, it'll be clear over the summer if colleges are going to resume normal campus life and instructing, and it'll vary from place to place. But I can tell you we have made a decision jointly with our daughter that she will not go back in the fall. She's not dropping out of college, but she's not going back in the fall if it's, again, distance learning, that she's at an expensive liberal arts college because that atmosphere of education has worked very well for her and she's really thrived in it. But why would we spend that money and have her spin her wheels and waste our money and her time? So the question we'll have to figure out, with jobs being difficult to get, what's she going to do if she's not in school in the fall? I'm hoping that colleges will, in large numbers, will be able to reopen in the fall. But it's a decision we're going to have to make Uh, student by student, family by family, regardless of where a child goes to school, whether it does in fact pay to continue learning in an alternative way or if it's better to do something else in the meantime. Uh, Post a question you have for me on any topic at clark.com slash ask, and then producers Kim and Joel are asking your questions for you. Who's up next? Clark, it's me. And Kip has a question. He says, I'm a new listener and my wife is self-employed. So what is a good way to go about investing her money to help it grow for her? So as a self-employed individual, uh, she has multiple options. If she is the only employee, she is free to do something that used to be very complicated and now is not called a self-employed or solo 401k. All the low-cost companies that I talk about on my investment guide at Clark.com offer solo or self-employed 401ks. They give you the ability to put in the same kind of money that you would put in if you were employed at a traditional job with extra benefits and extra complications. If you want it to be as simple as possible, amazingly simple as a self-employed individual, you instead can do something known as a SEP. Any organization, but i like for you to be with one of the low-cost ones, offer SEPs. There's virtually no setup involved with them. The paperwork you fill out is half a page for the um, government purposes. In fact, you, you basically fill it out and file it. You don't actually turn it into the IRS. 
it'll take about oh three to five minutes to fill out and then essentially you have a form of an IRA the SEP simplified employee pension you can fund it based on the profitability of your business each year from no money to a little money to potentially a lot of money huge money if your self-employment turns out to be very profitable you're able to shelter tens of thousands of dollars from your reported income and put it aside deferred for retirement in a SEP. The third option is much simpler even than that, and that is you're allowed as a self-employed individual to do a Roth IRA, put money into it up to $6,000 a year. You put after-tax dollars in it, and it just grows tax-free and it's spent tax-free down the road. I know that's a lot to throw at you all at once. If I lost you anywhere in that explanation, go to investopedia.com and read their explanation of a solo or self-employed 401k and of a SEP. Kim? Deborah in Georgia wants to know if long-term care insurance is a good financial investment. So long-term care insurance is not truly a classic investment. It is a protection. It is like any other insurance. It's dealing with the possibility of uh, an event occurring at a future date. Now, the data varies from who's calculating it. There's a pretty good chance during our retired years that at some point we will need assistance with what's known as the activities of daily living and one of the ways of dealing with that is buying a long-term care insurance policy they are much less generous than they used to be and there are far fewer companies that write the policies but as a general rule what you do is you buy a policy that covers three or five years of expenses at a daily calculated rate $150 a day, $200 a day, whatever. And you buy that amount of coverage that you then can buy with an inflation protection set at different levels, like 3% or 5% or whatever, as medical costs historically have gone up faster than the general rate of inflation. If you really want to insure as much as possible, you buy for the maximum number of years with the highest inflation adjustment you can get if you can afford the premiums for that. Again, very limited number of companies write long-term care insurance. And if you end up never needing long-term care, it's like having auto insurance when you don't have an accident. It insures you against an event that may or may not occur. Joel? Clark Tim says, if my credit is frozen, does my credit score still move up and down? Yes. Your credit being frozen in no way affects your existing credit and how it's graded. So when your credit's frozen, what it does is it prevents a criminal from impersonating you and applying for credit or buying things with credit, pretending to be you. So that's the value of a credit freeze but it has no impact on the movement and tracking and scoring 
of the credit that already exists. Any mortgage you have, any home equity line of credit or loan, car loan, credit cards, personal loans, and a credit report and the score with it, it's like a continuously evolving report card. And so you are entitled, I should mention right now, that the credit bureaus allow you access to your credit reports instead of once a year seeing each one free. You're allowed up to three a month from each of the credit bureaus to be able to observe your credit and see if anything seems funny or funky. You hear me a lot talk about credit karma as a way to track what's going on with your credit and your credit score. There are approximations of your credit scores. While your credit's frozen, you can't set up a credit karma account. You'd have to thaw your credit files, set up the credit karma, and then refreeze for you to be able to monitor a credit karma account whenever you wish. Kim? Mike in Georgia says, Clark, I know you own a Tesla. What is the true cost of owning a Model 3 LR? And why don't we have any more affordable EV options in the USA? Americans have not really been into electric cars, any electric car except Tesla. You know, the models that have been introduced in recent years by other automakers, many of which are very fine automobiles, I've driven uh, so many of them, and it's a disappointment to me that most buyers don't consider them. Um, but the electric vehicles will become more prominent as the things people are really interested in buying are very heavily offered in electric versions like SUVs from various manufacturers and pickup trucks in electric versions because pickup truck pickup trucks that are electric have much more ability than pickup trucks that are gasoline or diesel powered and so I think that's going to be a significant market for electric vehicles in the future as far as figuring the cost I am not qualified to do that there have been a number of organizations that are in the automotive field that have written their analyses of the true cost of ownership of a Model 3 long range versus a traditional gas engine vehicle. If you're not familiar with this, Tesla Model 3 starts at, I think, $35,900, which is about what the average vehicle is in the United States, but has a much, much lower cost of ownership year by year, not needing gasoline and not needing uh, virtually any maintenance than a traditional gas engine vehicle. The big change that's happened with electric vehicles in the last 18 months is you can now buy them at an equivalent cost of a gas engine vehicle of similar shape and size because the cost of the batteries that used to make electric vehicles really pricey now the battery cost has come down so much that we're just months away from electric vehicles being cheaper to buy up front than a gas engine vehicle. And then they're much cheaper to operate over time. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? 
Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you have a question for me, go to clark.com slash ask to post it. Producers Kim and Joel are alternating asking your questions. Joel, who do you have a question from? Clark got one from Ron in Illinois. He says, USAA is a highly regarded insurance company, but when I went online to get an auto insurance quote, they asked me for my social security number. I'm really uncomfortable giving them that, so I declined. There didn't seem to be a way to get a quote without giving it to them, though, so is it safe to do it? Uh, So... Auto insurers, homeowners insurers, pretty much most any kind of insurance you buy, you will be asked and you must give your social security number. Any organization that has what is considered to be under the law, it's a low standard, it's a legitimate business reason for seeking your social security number has the right to ask for it. And so, unfortunately, in order to do business with USAA or most any other insurer, you're going to have to give your social security number and let them have that to verify you are who you say you are and your identity. You have to do it with stockbrokers, banks, credit unions. Even when you're not applying for a loan with a bank or credit union, They have to verify your identity, and their method of doing so is with your social security number. Kim? Ruth in Michigan says, Yesterday I received an email that looked to be from Amazon. It was instructing me to update my Alexa app, or I might not be able to receive Alexa reminders or notifications in the future. It had a link for me to go and check. Do you think this is phishing? That is a great question, but I would not click on that link. I would first go and search um, with a uh, Google search or on Amazon itself. Is there any update that is required to Alexa devices? Uh, Some search like that and you would find out. And I've reached a point that I never click on any hyperlink in any email I ever receive because you never know when they're trying to load a virus on your device or in some way create mischief in your life. I can take the information I've been given and use it as a way to go check to see if there really is a problem that I've got to solve. This is the Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.